Thank you so much for reading, Jonathan. We're going to begin. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Please keep your Bibles open at page 909, in which we have our text. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Living and ascended Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that this morning you would make our hearts burn within us as we hear your scriptures opened by the mighty work of your spirit, and we ask it for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open. As I've mentioned, we are in our text here, Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. This week, if you were doubting it, this past week or so, has demonstrated, I think, the extraordinary stupidity of atheism. That is to say, a world view which suggests that what is happening around us is nothing else than the meaningless movement of molecules. That is to say, the things that we've seen and can't unsee on our screens that are happening in the Middle East, the atheist says is just the meaningless movement of molecules, of no moral value whatsoever. How stupid is that? No, the reality is that we are seeing evil, that behind the evil that we are seeing lies the enemy, Satan. Whatever your view of the complexity of that conflict, the scenes of rape, decapitation, and the celebration of it are evil. This world is one in which there is evil, and it is a reality. What is happening is more than the meaningless movement of molecules. Less reported, but just as evil, is the ongoing and unrelenting persecution of our Christian brothers and sisters across the world. I remember very vividly Archbishop Ben Kwashi of the Jos Diocese in northern Nigeria coming to address us when I was a curate at St. Helens and how he spoke of the suffering that he had experienced, full of joy, but the reality of Islamic terrorists killing his congregation, abusing his wife, destroying his house. On May 11th this year, Daniel Debeki and his wife and 41 of his congregation in northern Nigeria were killed. Over the past 14 years, there have been 52,250 Nigerian Christians murdered. Nine years ago, Boko Haram abducted 276 girls, have raped them and forced them into marriages. 98 remain as sex slaves today. This is a world in which there is such a thing as evil. And persecution is a reality 
against the people of God. We'll see it very soon in chapter 7. Stephen, stoned for teaching the Bible. And evil remains before the end of evil, which we must long for. Chapter 1, verse 6, our only hope. The restoration of the kingdom, the ending of evil. The world put right under its Prince of Peace, our only hope. But as we've been thinking about in this series, why has Christ not yet returned to restore the kingdom? Answer, so that his plan is fulfilled, so that the news of his rule goes out, so that rebels repent, so that sinners are cleansed, so that the kingdom comes. And this two-volume magisterial work is here for us as ordinary Christians under pressure, facing persecution, to tell us that the plan is on track. That no matter how evil and violent and hateful is the opposition against us, that will come and does come, King Jesus cannot be stopped. Two points. King Jesus' plan cannot be stopped by evil opposition. But also, King Jesus' plan will advance, will advance through his chosen witnesses. Look with me, please, to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and he began his speech. What we've just had in the previous passage, verses 1 to 11 of chapter 1, is Jesus appearing to these very people, the apostles and this group of 120 or so, and he's been proving that he is alive. The resurrected King Jesus with his wounds, who ate a fish breakfast with them. But then... At the end of our passage last week, this King Jesus has ascended into the heavens. A man seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And the two angels, do you remember them? Angels, because they are in bright white, who belong to the coming kingdom. Say, don't keep on looking up there. No. Do as he said. Wait for power to come upon you by the Spirit to embolden and enable you to progress this plan. And in chapter 2, the Spirit comes. And so we have these 11 apostles plus the women, in total 120, and Peter gets up. And he says, verse 16, Brothers, the Scriptures had to be, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. The great travesty of Judas, the ultimate betrayal. Judas, who was one of us, one of the twelve, betrayed. And then verses 18 and 19 tell us the gruesome death of how his guts have burst. Apparently this happens scientifically. You leave a hanging body, and it bursts, gushing out. Verse 18, and everyone around, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, know about it. Verse 19, 
and the field is called the field of blood. Evidence that the one who dares to stand against the plans of the risen King Jesus, against the God of the universe, does not have a good ending. The Bible calls it hell. And the point, however, that Luke is making is that this is part of the plan. Verse 16, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. There's a maths professor at Westmont College who ran a probability experiment. And he, he looked at the probability of just eight different prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled. I googled. Apparently, there are 1,817 fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament to the New. Or another source says 2,500. I mean, the number is big. But just eight, this guy, this maths professor ran, just eight. For example, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that a person would be born in Bethlehem. And then another one, another one, another one. And the probability is of eight prophecies, eight individual random items being conflated together in the one person, is 10 to the power of 17. And for non-mathmos like me, that's 17 zeros. Right? It's a lot. <laughs> they gave this analogy. It was that if you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat, the hat game, have you played that? and stir them thoroughly, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is 1 in 10. Suppose then we take the 10 to the power 17 silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. That's right, so the, 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 the Texas. They'll cover all of the state of two feet deep. That is, 10 to the 17 silver dollars will cover the whole state of big old Texas, two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up the one silver dollar that has the special mark on it. Atheism is idiotic, for the evidence is here. It's unscientific. It is unhistorical. It is unmathematical, if you will take it seriously. But it must be fulfilled and you remember those key verses from Luke chapter 24, verses 44. Don't turn to it, but let me repeat. What is the guiding framework and purpose of Luke and Acts? Jesus speaking to the apostles, everything written about me from the Psalms, the law of Moses and the prophets must be, must be, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, do you remember part one? Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Volume 1, Luke's Gospel. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. Part 2, Acts. And what we live in, Acts 29, the current day the unthwartable plan, just as central to God's cosmic plan as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I found, I mean, it's, I've still got it, God's diary. If you were with us last weekend, I turned to the page, and you know what? 
Sunday the 15th of October. What does it say? Again, extraordinary. Porphos. And then, let me turn. Oh, surprise. Monday the 16th of October. Porphos, 17th, and so on. Porphos, God's shorthand for the proclamation of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The proclamation of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the world is about today. Why has Christ not returned? Porphos. Why is there not an end to evil? Porphos. So that in his grace and mercy, sinners like me and like you can be cleansed and forgiven and enter into his eternal kingdom where there will be no evil. And the readers of this account are there under pressure. The world around them wanting their blood. And they're wondering, is this really the plan? Are we really on the winning side? And Luke assures and comforts his readers, no, not even the most wicked action of all history, the betrayal of the Son of God and the attempt to end him, can thwart the plan of God. Those who oppose Jesus will fall, and the witness of his people will move forward despite the devil's ploys. King Jesus' plan cannot be stopped by evil opposition. Do you remember the end of Genesis? Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph with his brothers, they're terrified. What's he going to do now? We tried to kill him after all. Do not fear, says Joseph, for I, I am not in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of many people. The salvation at that time, what was it? Food in a famine. Judas meant it for evil. Boko Haram means it for evil. The secular anti-Christian atheists of Sydney mean it for evil. But God means it for good for the eternal salvation of many people. King Jesus' plan cannot be stopped by evil opposition. But second, King Jesus' plan will advance through his chosen witnesses. Look with me, please, to verse 20. Verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. The fulfillment of a psalm by King David about opponents to God's chosen king, that they will be destroyed. That's what happened to Judas. But then he goes on, let another take his office. Psalm 109, verse 8, the promise that there would be in the place of the enemy, a new office holder. Not a diversion to the plan, but a fulfillment of the plan. And then what we have is this eyewitness evidence. Verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become the replacement of Judas, must become one who was also a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. 
Do you see, at a time where there weren't video cameras and iPhones, instead there are these 11 eyewitnesses, three days, three years, day in, day out, seeing every aspect of his action. But there's another that needs to be chosen. What's the criteria since his baptism, the coming of the Spirit, and to his resurrection and ascension, another one who's been there, that's the person who is fitting because this is history, because this is reality, because this is fact, and we need to know it. How wonderful to hear from Roy. And the way that a, a lawyer, a person used to dealing with evidence, is convinced about the truth of the eyewitness evidence. I've got a, a doorstopper here. I mean, I take those two books, Roy, and I, I raise you my, my book here, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, by a boffin called Borkham. And here we have a book which, actually in the theological academy, has been absolutely de definitive about the reality of eyewitness evidence and the fact that the people of the time understood that it was all eyewitness evidence. And then verses 23 to 26, they choose two candidates. Let me read verse 23. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. There are a lot of things in Acts that are descriptive and not prescriptive. That is to say, we're not to take this as an example of how to make decisions. Somebody out there perhaps looking for a life partner. Will it be Esmeralda or will it be Emily? Hmm. Bring out the dice. No, that, that's, that's not what's going on. This kind of mystical, random way of seeking guidance from God is not the way. Let it be heard. I was told once of the person who prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, where do you want to send me in the world? I, I want to serve you. Which country? goes outside. Brazil nuts. Aha! Rio de Janeiro. It's a good thing the advertising wasn't for Mars bars. <laughs> now that kind of seeking of God's will is not God's way. We know the plan. It's Porphos. That's the great thing. Not my individual... No, the Bible is true. It's true what the catechism says, not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. Everything is organized. He has our good at every single step. But we're not to be like little children asking, you know, should I put a, a blue sock on or a red sock on this, this morning? Or should I put a shirt on or, or a singlet this morning? That kind of immature, no, we've got the plan, we've got the scriptures, we ask for wisdom and make decisions. And when we make the wrong choice, he's in charge and bringing about our good. That's guidance. But in this particular case, it reflects Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And the point at this moment, before the coming of the Spirit, is that the Lord has chosen 
to complete the 12, the new Israel to reflect the 12 tribes of Israel. And it is all so that it must fulfill the kingdom. And so we draw to a close. This peculiar, strange little passage, actually, between the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, but very significant, because it tells us that the plan is on track. Can you imagine what it was like in the first century with so much opposition, being so small and insignificant, thinking, are we on the winning side? Answer, even the most evil attempt to thwart the plan of God will not prosper. Porphos is the reality. And evil will be defeated. Restoration is coming. And we are witnesses. Those who have been given the spirit for this task. Or verse 14, those who are dependent upon him. People who pray, who rely on him for our need and for our part in this great project. The reality is that there is no hope for the Middle East apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is needed in the Middle East is the news of the risen king, of the Messiah. And for people to hear the news of repent, turn back to your king and receive forgiveness, even the most wicked terrorist. To be cleansed of their sins, to have the spirit of Jesus enter their heart, to be able to love their neighbor, (laughs) to be reconciled properly to one another. That is only possible by the supernatural work of God. To be like a spoke in a wheel and the hub that is the Lord Jesus coming closer to him, meaning we come closer to one another. Or Ben Kwashi, who is able to love those who have abused his loved ones and killed others. Because of the supernatural work of the spirit of the king. We are so privileged to be those who know this news. And that is what this world needs above all. And may we be those who, like verse 14, pray, 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 Lord Jesus, bring about the news of your kingdom because that's the only hope for this world. We pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you've opened our eyes to see the reality of this evil world. We lament the suffering that has been caused by our human sin. We thank you that you have enabled us to turn back to you and that we have been forgiven, that we have your spirit, that we belong to your kingdom.
and that soon Jesus will return. We pray that you would hasten that day and we pray that in the time that remains you would use us mightily individually as a church to bring this hope to this world, to have this hope soak our lives in every way. And we ask it for the glory of your Son. Amen.